Welcome to the Radical Brilliance Podcast with Arjuna Arda and brilliant guests from around the world who are contributing to the evolution of humanity. Today's guest is Joe Vitale, who's going to talk to us about Zero Limits. So here's your host, Arjuna Arda. Hey, welcome back to the Radical Brilliance Podcast. Today's guest is an old friend, Joe Vitale. Some people know him from the movie The Secret. Joe is remarkable because at one time he lived on the streets. Literally, he was homeless, living like under a bridge. Today, he's very wealthy. He drives a Rolls-Royce Phantom because he likes the car. Uh, and he gets paid pretty much whatever he wants by whoever he wants. So this is the ultimate kind of rags to riches story. Now, I think Joe would be the first to acknowledge that money on its own is not necessarily particularly interesting, but Joe is a master at helping people to see beyond their limits, to see beyond what they think is possible. He wrote a book called Zero Limits. He's really great at helping you see that whatever you thought was limiting being possible in your life whether it's having a baby, buying something that's expensive, starting a business, becoming a singer, whatever. Whatever you thought was impossible, whether because of age or your resources or whatever, it's only impossible in your mind. And actually, in reality, in a kind of quantum reality, everything is possible. Joe really lives this. He lives this from his own experience because he's pushed every boundary that seemed to limit him in the last few decades. Please enjoy this conversation with a master of possibility, Joe Vitale. Hey, Joe. You just wrote a new book that could not have a more relevant and important title mm. for the times we live in. Mm. It's called Anything is Possible. And uh, I think that's really refreshing news for a lot of people because just, I mean, politically, environmentally, every which way, it mm. just seems like we need some miracles right now. So um, what, are the, what are the principles underlying your understanding, your assertion that anything is possible? Well, the very basic one is the title itself. It's a mindset. Mm -hmm. It's a perception. And most people have the perception that we live in a world of problems. Those problems are always going to be there. We may wrestle with those problems, may or may not find ways out of those problems, but underneath it, maybe almost subliminally, is the idea of a victim mentality. Yeah. And it's the idea that we're up against these forces we can't change. Mm. And so anything is possible is a rebel-rousing, inspiring call to think differently. Yeah, I love the idea that anything is possible because it makes me think. Yeah, I advise people and tell myself when I look in the mirror, it's like, what do you want? What's the big dream? Don't worry about how. Don't worry about figuring it out. 
be more concerned about spelling it out. What do you want to have do or be? What do you want to accomplish personally, planetary, in the world, whatever? After that, let's assume that anything is possible and that either a way exists or you're going to create one, mm. you're going to find one, mm. you're going to discover one. Mm. The whole mantra of anything is possible forces you in the direction of seeking a solution. Yeah. If you come from not everything's possible, you know, or anything's mm. possible except that, mm. you've now just closed off the door to a miracle. Yeah. And so I live in the world of magic and miracles. I write about it. I see all kind of ins inspiring stories with myself and other people. And so it's, you know, I smile right now as I think about it. It's like, wow, how refreshing, how inspiring. If all you take away, even from this conversation, is the idea that anything is possible. So what about you, Joe, in, in your mm. life? What did you think was impossible 30 years ago that you've discovered is possible now? Yeah, lots of things. We can go back even further because you probably know my story. I mean, I was homeless at one point. Yeah. Well, when you're homeless, you don't think too many things are possible. Right. <laughs> homeless feels like, you know, lunch is impossible, a cup of coffee is impossible, an apartment, a job, any of that thing doesn't seem possible. And I wanted to be an author when I was homeless. Mm -hmm. That didn't seem possible. And I was in poverty for 10 some years after that. And during those 10 years of struggle, I'm married at the time. We are both going through the dark nights of the soul. Where were you living? We are living in a, uh, an efficiency that costs $200 a month. It's like a room in a house, almost like a boarding room. Wait, which city? And it was in Houston, Texas. All right, yeah. And when I say $200 a month, I'm saying that purposely because to be able to raise that was the, the, the feet of Hercules <laughs> okay. to do it every month. And mm -hmm. driving a clunker of a car, when the car broke down, life crashed. Yeah. You're talking about, oh, I was depressed, discouraged, suicidal at times. Mm. None of that felt like anything was possible. You know, there was an inner drive that I, I think I could do this, mm. but it wasn't, even I think I can do this, isn't as powerful as anything is possible. Mm -hmm. And of course, I did transcend, I did get published, I did go on to great success as an author. But I also went in other areas, like I mentioned to you before we started our podcast here, that I'm a singer-songwriter, I have 15 albums out, I have mm -hmm. six singer-songwriter albums, but that's all within the last five or six years. Mm -hmm. For my entire life, through up to the age of 60, no musical background, play a little harmonica around a mm. campfire kind of thing, mm. but never been in a studio as a musician, didn't know how to sing, didn't know how to write songs, didn't know how to play the guitar, none of that kind of stuff. And so you might think that that's impossible, but I said, you know, it's on my bucket list. Yeah. I wonder if I can do this. Right. And if you have the mantra, anything is possible, yeah. you can now move in that direction. Yeah. And of course, I got the best of the best. My drummer's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I got to personally study songwriting with Melissa Etheridge, who's yeah. a famous rock and roller who I've been a fan of for 20 years. Uh, I've written songs that are soundtracks in movies now. Hmm. Where'd that come from? Mm -hmm. I have songs that were nominated for the Posse Awards, which are the Grammys of positive music. Where'd mm -hmm. that come from? And uh, my band is the Band of Legends. We performed live a year or so ago. Now, this may just seem like narration to somebody listening to this, but back up and realize this is the same guy who was homeless, mm -hmm. same guy who was unknown, unpublished, goes through poverty, transcends all of that, and as he keeps growing and keep looking around, it's like, what's the next hurdle? What's the next dream? What's the next thing to go for? And so the musician thing came up. And with the idea that anything is possible, mm. 
I've made that happen right. and still making it happen. Right. And you reference my book, Anything is Possible, which is actually about what I learned from strongman training. Mm-hmm. And many people don't even know what that is, but there is a field of sport. Um, women do it too, but it's usually called strongman training. And strongmen bend horseshoes, literal horseshoes, uh, steel bars, nails, bolts, uh, tear phone books in half, lay on the ground, let a car drive over them. I mean, pull horses with their hair, stop planes with their arms, do things that just seem like, oh, these are, these are hoaxes or these are stunts. No. I have done the training. I have been with these people. They are doing it in the real world. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, I got fascinated. I was like, can I do that? I am now 65 years old. When I was looking at this, it was, I was 63. And I'm going, I just, <laughs> it, seems, it seems impossible. Mm-hmm. But if you have the mantra, anything is possible, then mm-hmm. now you're going to look at it. Mm-hmm. And I found uh, that with mind power, yeah. muscle power, yeah. and some technique, yeah. Virtually anybody can learn to do this. You know, I remember uh, I used to teach at this festival in Sweden. Mm. It was in the summertime. They called it the No Mind Festival. It was, it was a festival with teachers and musicians. And I used to take my kids over there, right, in the summertime. Mm. It was a good holiday for them. And my young son, uh, whose nickname is Schubert, I think he was about nine or ten, and uh, he went to this firewalk workshop, mm-hmm. right? But the night before the firewalk workshop, before they actually lit the fires, they did this thing where they got a piece of rebar, quite mm-hmm. a long piece of rebar, and he, he it was put right here in, in, on his throat. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a super soft place. There's no bone there. It was put there, and he he was able to bend this rebar with his throat, right? <laughs> and I I actually watched him do that. I no, I, let's no I backtrack. I was at that workshop and he was just a kid sitting at the front. It didn't occur to me in my wildest dreams he was going to do it. He was just sitting there. And then I said to him, Schubert, you know, be home by 11. I'm going home now. And home by 11, by the way, in Sweden in the summer means it's still light at that time. So, <laughs> so I went back and then he, he wasn't home. So uh, I went back to look for him. And this really long road went from, very long road, straight road went from where we were living to the festival. And as I walked back to look for him, Far ahead on this wrong, I see this tiny figure slowly coming towards me, but it was walking like a, like a warrior, like a samurai. It was walking towards me. And as he got closer, his, his eyes were burning on fire. Yeah. He, said, he said, Dad, yeah. he said, I, I, I bent that rebar yeah. with my throat. Yeah. And then he, he looked me in the eyes with great intensity and said, now I can do anything. That's said, the point. Now I can do yes. anything. Yes. yes. Well, that's the point of the strongman training. In fact, when I came home from the first day, I went to this training. And in the morning, I'm actually nervous and excited. And when I get in the room, there's 30-some people. They're all younger than me. They're all more fit than me. They're all more experienced than me. And I'm going, what in the world am I doing here? I know right. nothing about doing this. And I bent a horseshoe. I still remember holding the horseshoe. Yeah. And this, is a, this goes on a horse. Yeah. This is not something <laughs> made for a man to bend. Right, right. And I was told how to leverage it and everything. And I'm putting everything I can into it. And they're telling me you have to stay with it, which is another principle. You got to stay with it. Mm-hmm. You got your goal. I want to bend this whole horseshoe. So there's an intention that's there. I am staying with it. I'm putting my force on there. And I never will forget when it gave. Yeah. It gave. I was yeah. almost startled into disbelief, yeah. but I was actually startled into a new belief. Right. And the new belief is, if I can do that, right, I can do anything. I can do anything. probably anything. Right. Which evolved into the whole idea that 
why not come from anything as possible and make the attempts? Yeah. I actually get inspired when I watch these science fiction movies, whether they're Star Trek or uh, or the spinoffs from them, because they often get in situations where it's just like, there's no way, you're dead, you're not going to get out of this. Right. But they have the underlying philosophy yeah. that there's always a way, anything yeah. is possible. Right. And with that mindset, which is my point, with that mindset, you can go the, in the direction mm. of finding mm. the solution. If you're enjoying this podcast with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might also enjoy our eight-week online group coaching program. It's an opportunity to go deep and get stable in practices that enhance your own brilliance. We only take 20 participants at a time, so in a small and intimate group, you can go through the whole Radical Brilliance cycle. You'll have an accountability partner and another brilliant aspirant from somewhere around the world. The eight-week coaching program involves eight one-hour webinars with Arjuna Arda and a group of other Radical Brilliance coaches. You'll also receive one 30-minute coaching session with your own personal coach every week and one 90-minute coaching session with Arjuna himself. It's the ideal opportunity to drop deep into yourself, into the source of your own creativity, and to get support for an entire eight weeks of mining your own radical brilliance and bringing it forth into a project or creation that can truly serve the future of humanity. Find out more at RadicalBrilliance.com and click on the Programs tab. I want to zoom out for a moment, you know, because uh, let's imagine that you and I were having this conversation in a, a room like this, but it's not a hotel room. It's a, it's a berth. It's a cabin on a boat, okay? And let's imagine that the boat is the Titanic. And let's imagine that we're having this conversation, we're recording this conversation, we can do anything, but we're on this boat that is meters away from an iceberg, okay? So I want to actually now expand our conversation from you and I can do anything to create better experiences for ourselves as individuals mm. to we are also inextricably bound to the fate of humanity right mm. so even if you and I improve our lot even if you and I make more money what difference does it make if there's no habitable planet to live on right so let's think about anything is possible for humanity rather than mm. for you and me Let's see, what, how can we apply these principles to, to us rather than me? Uh, very easily. Mm. And I'm glad that you even brought it up that way. I don't know why you put us on a Titanic, but, uh, you know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why. i tell you why. Because there are many parameters in our, in, in our state collectively, environmentally, financially, that where there is no obvious solution in sight. It's like we're heading in a certain direction where you can't see a way out. 
And, right. and it's not that different from being on a boat that's heading towards a collision with an iceberg. Mm -hmm. I like that you phrased that there's no obvious right. way out. Okay. Because that still gives me permission to find a way out. I'm, I'm all for it, and, man. <laughs> and that is the mindset yeah. that I'm coming from. Because yeah. as I sit here, you know, if I was on the Titanic, first of all, I'd ask myself, what do I want? Yeah. And I was like, well, I want survival, and I want survival for as many other people as I can. Everybody, if possible. Yeah, yeah. whatever I can do. And we do know some people survive. So we do know that's possible, and we do know that that has happened. So I would back up to what is my goal, but I want to—I I don't want to create an impossible scenario to prove something that is right or something that is wrong. Mm -hmm. What I want to do is stretch the mind to consider that if we come from the mindset or philosophy that anything is possible, we now look for that possibility. Okay. When I said that it was easy to think differently. I teach people how to make more money, how to attract money. I wrote a book called Attract Money Now, which is very popular. It's free to your listeners, attractmoneynow.com. I'm enough of a marketer to go, here's my commercial message, and squeeze it in. Hmm. But I've often told people, look, the best reason to make money is not for you. Mm -hmm. It's for who you can help. Yeah. And Jose Silva, the founder of the Silva Mind Control, he used to say that one of the greatest ways to make an intention is to create an intention that includes at least two other people. There you go. Yeah. So if you say, I want to be wealthy, well, that's all fine and dandy. You deserve to be wealthy. But it's going to be more powerful if you say, I want to be wealthy, and I want my aunt and uncle or my brother and sister or my neighbors yeah. to also be wealthy. Yeah. Now you've created something that enriches the right. environment and the planet, and you've gone beyond just yourself. Exactly. And we've got, what's her name? Um, Oh, there's a lady doing incredible work in Africa um, who's here at the conference with us. Uh, anyway, there's a there's a woman here whose whose name unfortunately escapes. She's Mike Rayburn's not Mike 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 Koenig's wife. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know her name offhand. I know Mike. Yeah. Anyway, his wife. So she's she's raising huge amounts of money. Yeah. Uh, to change the quality of life for literally hundreds of thousands of girls in Africa. Lynn Twist. Yes. has ra raised more than $2 billion but to alleviate world hunger. So that's like the, that's the extreme. It's not just your aunt and uncle. It's like, right. it's like huge, right. huge sections of humanity. Well, one of my world. personal projects is I want to end homelessness yeah. in uh, the United States. Mm -hmm. And part of it was I think there's still a sting in me from being homeless course, in the United where States it comes from. back all, all in the 70s in Dallas. And I remember when I first set up a website, operationyes.com, yeah. Y-E-S, yeah. Your Economic Solution, uh, and everybody thought, that, not everybody, but a lot of people thought, this is ridiculous. You can't end homelessness, and what a thing to go for. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember Werner Erhard and the S movement and end hunger. Yeah. And what they were trying to do out there was introduce an idea that you can now begin to find solutions for. Yeah. But before you state that idea, you live in the world of there's no way to end hunger. There's no way to end homelessness. And so there are a great deal of people doing the exact thing that you're talking about. Mm. They're raising money. They're sending it to wherever they believe that it needs the, the most use and being a steward for money. And this is what I say is the reason to become wealthy. It's not for you. It's for the causes you believe in. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Drive a nice car, whatever it happens to be, but be a steward to make a difference to solve the problems that are out there in the world that you're perceiving are the ones that have the most heat on them. That's the reason to do it. Yeah. Right, right, right. And so with the mindset of anything is possible, you can move in that direction. So I've, I, I know your partner. Um, is it your wife or partner? My wife, Nerissa. Yeah. yeah, your wife. Do you, do you have children? No. Okay. Uh, but you, you 
you have young people in the, like in I have nephews and nephews nieces. Yeah, in fact, I have a great nephew. A great, a great nephew. A great, it's not just great, but he's a great nephew. So you could, <laughs> you could, I'm sure, visualize what you want to create. You know, five years from now, and mm-hmm. you could imagine participating in that and enjoying that. Mm-hmm. And you could also visualize twenty years from now when you'd be in your eighties, and you mm-hmm. could visualize. You know, we, I'm sure both of us, we want to be healthy and vibrant in our 80s. Mm-hmm. But what about like 50 years from now, mm-hmm. where li- probably logically we won't be alive, mm. but, but probably logically there will be human life. Mm. What, what is, if we think, you know, anything is possible, right? Mm-hmm. Anything is possible. Let's hold that as our standard. Mm-hmm. Anything mm-hmm. is possible. And now let's think what is possible 50 years from now. You know? mm-hmm. And if we were to make all the wisest decisions, you know, if, if humanity could stop being so damn stupid, <laughs> start to actually make some good decisions, right, mm-hmm. and elect some good leaders, and what do you see as the best possible evolutionary vision for us in 50 years? Look, I'm going to be a, so blunt, you will probably never have me back on your podcast. But I am going to be blunt because I think that this is going to be of the most service to the people listening. Within your description right there, there were some taken-for-granted assumptions, negative beliefs, um, scenarios that I don't buy into, I don't support, and I don't believe are even necessary. Okay, I'm happy to be challenged. Go ahead. I'm challenging that because I want to go somewhere else with this. First of all, you asked me about nephews and kids and all that stuff. My great-nephew alone, he's 10 years old right now. Mm. He's creating his own car, his own car company, Mm. his own fuel, his own battery. He's 10 years old. I asked him all kind of questions about cars because I'm a car guy and I love cars. He has already thought these things through. Mm. He's already designing these futuristic cars Mm -hmm. that are blowing my mind. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, how is he doing this? When I was 10 years old, I wasn't thinking anything along those lines. It's like, when's recess? When's lunch? I mean, I wasn't going very far, very deep. And I got this great nephew who's blowing my mind. And I said, "Who, who do you talk to? When you go to school, who do you talk to? And he says, oh, I talk to Martin. And I'm thinking, Martin's a school teacher. And I said, who's Martin? He's a kid in class with me. (laughs) How old is he? He's 10. (laughs) These two 10 years old who are creating this vision for a future. I can't even imagine. Okay, great. And then to take your question uh, about 50 years from now. Mm I think the work that we need to do now is the internal work. And I know you know this, and you teach this, and you live this. But this is my big reminder to people. People on the outside aren't making the stupid decisions. We are. We are on the inside. We have to do our inner work about cleaning up our beliefs, our programming, our data, what we think is possible or or impossible, which is all based on our cultural programming. Mm -hmm. And so we need to wash all that clean. And I do it through, I mean, I you know about Ho'oponopono, which which is the Hawaiian healing system I've written about in books like Zero Limits and later in At Zero. I want to teach more people that or any other clearing technique Mm -hmm. so that they can have a clear vision Mm -hmm. about what the choices are now so we can create that better future Mm -hmm. uh, ahead. Mm -hmm. When I look at my great nephew, he somehow has already come in clear or he hasn't been contaminated yet. And at 10 years old, he's creating, he's got to be the next Tesla or somebody bigger doing things. And I can imagine his car company is going to 
going to be on a planet mm -hmm. and probably another solar system that will be discovered between now and 50 years from Got this it. moment. Mm -hmm. So for me, and you can tell I'm getting more excited because mm -hmm. I'm thinking oh, the world of possibilities is yeah. mind-blowing. If you would ask me 15, 20 years ago about what the next big thing was, I never would have said the Internet. Mm -hmm. We didn't know about it mm -hmm. 25 years ago, whatever it was. Not in your computers, yeah. Oh, computers, the handheld. Look how yeah. you're doing your podcast. None of this yeah. stuff. My phone right. right there. When I grew up, there were no, there were actually no microchips. You know, when I was when I was uh, between zero and ten, yeah. there was there was nothing that went beep when you pressed a button. You know? <laughs> exactly. As you're listening to this conversation with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might feel inspired to go deeper into your own expression of radical brilliance. Come join us for a one-week Radical Brilliance Laboratory held in a beautiful rural location in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. During the laboratory, you'll have an opportunity to dive deeply into all four quadrants of the Brilliance Cycle. This means you'll be able to explore experiences of consciousness without boundaries. And you'll be able to start accessing original impulses of creativity from within yourself that can become your unique contribution to the world. You can get in touch with your own learning and integrate mistakes that will allow you to mature and grow. You'll have the chance to deeply mine your own resources as well as connect with other brilliant people in a small, intimate context for a week. You can check out the Radical Brilliance Laboratories at RadicalBrilliance.com under the Events tab. Wooden desk, a wooden pencil, piece yeah. of paper. I yeah. mean, this is what we're doing. Exactly. And incidentally, I don't object to, I, uh, be, I absolutely would love to invite you back as often as you want to. Oh, good. So I got through that. Nothing wrong All with right. that. But I still want to press a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Because I still want to ask you personally, mm. like, if you just, if we take this maxim of anything is possible, mm -hmm. you can apply it to a possible personal future. Mm -hmm. So what, when you just dream of what could be 50 mm. years from now, what what's I mean of course it's gonna be way beyond anything we can imagine, but what's mm -hmm. the what's the best possible future you can imagine right now for humanity in fifty years? Where would you like to see us headed? Well, what would be a what would be a vision for us to aspire to? Yeah, I'm just thinking out loud here, and I'm allowing inspiration to come in. Good. So I'll probably change my mind right after I leave the door. Good, it's fine. Uh, but I'm seeing us colonizing a planet, mm -hmm. uh, not Mars, but one that we don't even know about that is uh, similar to Earth in in uh, atmosphere, and that we've colonized it by beginning it in the most peaceful way with some sort of spiritual parameters mm -hmm. and some sort of you know my great nephew is on that planet because he's already clear or clean or mm -hmm. practicing his radical brilliance, if you will. Yeah, uh, that I will. Kind. I will. <laughs> yes, and that's that's the reading material. Radical br brilliance and, and anything is possible. Those are on the library shelves as the mother and father of the literature that gets born on that planet. 
And beyond that, I don't really know. I couldn't predict the internet. You know, they asked me early on when ebooks came out, I was asked, uh, what do I thought of ebooks? And I said, man, ebooks will never last. This is like 1992. Yeah. Uh, nobody wants ebooks. Everybody's going to want printed books, whole books, because right. that's what I want. Right. And of course, I was proven wrong repeatedly. I wrote one of the first articles on internet marketing, and I had gone to NASA, and NASA gave me a tour mm. of the internet when I had a great big computer in a room. And they said they can tell the weather on any part of the planet. And I remember thinking, what a joke. If I want to know the weather, I look out the window. Yeah. I don't need to go on what was called the Internet. And yeah. I said, you can't make any money on the Internet. And, of course, there I am, decades later, considered one of the Internet pioneers. So when you ask me about 50 years from now, good Lord, I don't have any idea. You know, I heard this story, actually. I heard, uh, uh, don't go outside when it's raining in Sweden. And then somebody says... Okay, but how do I know when it's raining in Sweden? <laughs> <laughs> right, that's it. That's it, exactly that. Yeah. Okay, so um, so one thing I heard in what you said is, is um, I mean, colonizing another planet is interesting because it actually transcends the parameters, all of the boundaries in which we think our current mm-hmm. situation is contained. Now, there's a parallel to that, that in um, 1884... In London, uh, there was an article published in the Times of London, no less, like a very the most prestigious newspaper, and it was predicting that in that nine years from then, the entire city would be buried under nine foot of horseshit. Okay, <laughs> because they had this was after the Industrial Revolution, so everybody had moved to London. Mm-hmm. They had something like fifty thousand horse drawn, they had horse drawn cabs, horse drawn buses. There was, I mean, I forget, I don't have all the statistics in my head, but there was, there was tens of thousands of horses in London, each pooping, you know, however much a day, right. peeing two litres of urine, that figure I remember. So they said, there's no hope, we're doomed. Yeah. In, 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 in nine years, we're going to be buried under nine foot of horseshit. Well, yeah. of course, nobody anticipated, the figures were a little off, but no one anticipated the Model T Ford, which popularized the motor car. And lo and behold, we created different problems. We didn't have that one, you see. Yeah. So, and now, and you've just said, you know, when, when, when all these things are first introduced, I, I believe when somebody first showed the TV set, somebody looked at them, well, that's cute, but it will never replace the radio. It's exactly. Just, you know. And um, an interesting thing was in the 1930s, uh, somebody was trying to sell real estate in Hollywood, to somebody in New York, and they said, cute idea, but, you know, that area, it's a, it's a retirement home. Nothing will ever happen. <laughs> no one, and now, of course, it's very expensive real estate. So I wonder what there is flickering that mm. exists today, flickering on our horizons that we don't recognize is actually going to be commonplace. Oh, I love that question, because I do know something's flickering. The Internet was flickering before. When, What's flickering went, today? Uh, before it went public. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what's flickering right now. I, I've often said that uh, things that we would science fiction would promote, like telepathy and some sort of instantaneous manifestation, may become the norm as we learn more about controlling our own energy and controlling our yeah. own mind. Yeah, well, you know, actually, that's an interesting thing. I, I believe that energetic medicine mm-hmm. is probably uh, that, that, I think, is something that will be commonplace in mm-hmm. 20 years. Uh, so that almost every kind of physical intervention will seem will seem really barbaric. Mm. For example, okay, can I just tell you a little story? Tell me. Uh, 
I guess a podcast is allowed to be a conversation, just to do an interview, right? So anyway, I've just been in Greece, right? I was just doing my annual retreat in Greece. And um, I had lunch with an old friend, and he said he'd just been for this test that was really revealing for him. So I went to this woman who has this machine called a Metatron, right? She puts on head, she put headphones on me, and inside the headphone is a little blue light, one on each side. And so she plugs it in, she hooks it up to a computer, it starts doing a scan, Right. Now, I didn't tell her anything about my medical history, nothing. Didn't, she didn't want to know. It starts doing this scan, and it starts, it's like it scans you know, areas of my body, like it scans my head, and it gives a yellow light when everything's good in a certain area, different colors. Well, it found, it put a black mark right here on my face. I'm just touching my face mm-hmm. here. It so happens that I know I've got a root canal there that's going, going bad, right? Mm. She didn't know that. It keeps scanning. It finds something in my gallbladder. I know I've got. I know I've got an obstruction in my bile duct. You know, mm-hmm. it found three or four. It found three areas in my body I knew about, and then it found a fourth. And I thought, well, if, that, if it found those other three, there's something going on here. Yeah. Now that machine is able to scan a certain area of your body. If it finds a problem, it can zone in, and it can keep zoning in till it gets to the cellular level. Wow. Now there's something going on there because you could say that's woo woo, but how did it manage to find the three area three problem areas and then scan down on them? That I believe is something that's completely obscure. It's difficult for them to even get funding right now. Hmm. Uh, but that's something I believe will be picked up and will be, and will be in every every I wouldn't say doctor's office, it'll probably replace a doctor's office, but that's something I think everybody will have access to. Yeah, well, let me write off of that for a second, because I do believe that the we know about the unconscious mind from Carl Jung and from Freud and from a lot of uh, other scientists, but I think we don't know how much of the unconscious mind is operating, Mm. so that I've somewhat joked that saying that we humans are really just animals with wallets. Yeah. Because we're driven by the unconscious. We think we're driven by the conscious mind, but that's the illusion. That's the deception. There's been tests with Benjamin Levitt and some other ones that show that the decisions seem to be being made before your conscious awareness. They bubble up into your conscious awareness. By extension, there's some work that is being done by people like John Sarno, who is pointing out that your back pain, your neck pain, a lot of the things that are showing up physically, and in his mind, virtually all of it, mm-hmm. is not physically physical, it is psychological, that the unconscious mind is diverting you Mm. from your emotions Mm. by finding a weak point in your body, which could be a disc, it looks like it's a little off, Mm. some people have discs that that are off, but they don't have any pain there, why do you have pain there? And what he's pointing out is that the unconscious mind knows your body, focused all your attention there, so your conscious mind is totally preoccupied with what doctor do I see, what scan do I get, what CAT scan, blah, 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 forever, until at some point you realize, no, wait a minute, this is not the physical, this is the emotional. Yeah. And so I believe going in that direction mm-hmm. and finding and bringing in more of the deeper, mm-hmm. the stuff that we actually don't want to face, which is the whole reason that the body moves it into the physical, is to protect you from feeling it coming out of the unconscious. And for him, he said virtually all of it is buried rage, yeah. that you're not sitting there feeling rageful because you've been distracted by it. So I think that kind of awakening Mm. in that area and probably tangent areas that at this point in time I know nothing about Mm. are going to awaken us 
mm-hmm. you know, and allow us to live at optimum levels and full power and be able to channel the divine and be inspired and then go do anything that you want because anything is possible. Sweet, sweet. I think the big mantra in all this, you know, is who says, you know, that's the mm. big mantra to keep repeating all the time. Who says, you know, who says you got to work hard? Uh, who, who says that if, you know, that this condition is incurable? Right? Yeah. Who's, yeah. Who says that if you're born in a certain area, you can't make it? You know, who, yeah. who says about anything, you know? Who, well, I would doubt it all or question it all. Exactly. When you were talking about times in London and 1930s and everything, I was thinking back to the 1940s. Or 1840s. And I was thinking back to the, uh, the gas shortage lines when I was a teenager in the mm. 1970s. Mm. And there were long lines. And you could only get uh, gas on odd numbers when, when you were born in an odd year. Yeah. Because it was, it was gone. The, right. the gas is gone. Mm. That was 50, 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. I still get gas. I don't stand in line. I mean, so we can't, we can't trust any of that. I remember I was in a songwriting workshop with Ray Wiley Hubbard, who's well-known in Texas. Uh, what do you got besides water? <laughs> I'm kidding. And uh, he said he still had doubts, he still had fears, he still had insecurities that would bubble up yeah. whenever he wanted to try something new. Yeah. And he learned to ask a question, and I love this question. It's similar to what you had just said. And the question is, uh, where's the proof? Yeah. Where's the proof you can't do this? Right. Where's the proof that you can't learn this? Right. Where's the proof that you, right. you know, times won't change? Where's right. the proof? And you know what, Joe? I think one, one thing that I really want to invite you and me and a lot of people we know into is, is to really deeply question our assumptions about aging. You know, like what, what people think oh. is normal in your 60s. I just want to give my finger to that boldly. You know, it's like <laughs> I, I'm <clears throat> planning to be in better health and stronger and more vital in my 90s than I am today, and I know that's possible. Absolutely correct. My father is 93 years old. He just had uh, surgery. And now for a 93-year-old man to get kidney surgery, they usually will say, we're not going to touch you because you're too frail, you're too old. No, he's been working out every day for 70 years. Mm-hmm. He is the Jack LaLanne, the physical giant of the family. Mm-hmm. So when they looked at him and they said, we can do the surgery, no problem. He does the surgery, and he is home the next day working out, right. doing his exercising. Yeah. So we already have a role model. There's right. many of them you. out there, but we already have one. Right. So that's actually a very important thing with anything that's possible, to seek out role models. That I, Even if it's yeah. not normal, at least here's one example. That yeah. is exactly correct. And I love that you said that, because the role models can give you an inspiration. Yeah. You, know, you don't necessarily have to do everything they're doing, but the very fact that they've already went through that barrier yeah. and said, hey, I'm already 93. I'm doing this. Yeah. You can do this or better. Mm. You know, that's inspiring to me. Cool, man. Thank you so much for taking uh, the time. We're done awesome. already. Well, yeah, we had fun. Come on. <laughs> we got, we, <laughs> we got, had fun. That's we, it. We got a swimming pool to go to. <laughs> no, go. it's great to hang out with you again. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. you. Thank and you. then the book is uh, Anything is Possible. Anything is Possible. It's on Amazon. It's yeah. uh, Seven Secrets or Seven Steps for Doing the Impossible. Is Amazon the best place to go get it? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Anything is Possible. Thanks, Amazon. Joe. Love yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that high-spirited and sometimes almost uh, combative conversation with Joe. I hope you enjoyed it. Joe's a great, great friend and really 
passionate about what he believes. So let's do a little practice together after this podcast so you can make this real for yourself. Please go with a friend to a cafe or for a walk, or you can do this alone with paper and pen, and think about something, anything that you would ideally love, but it seems impossible. Consider something which you would ideally love to have happen, but it just appears impossible. Contemplate that for a little bit, the seeming impossibility of this thing that you would like to be true. What are the beliefs? What kind of beliefs are they which make it impossible? And if you just relaxed that belief, if you just breathed into the boundaries of that belief so it relaxed and dissolved, then what might be possible in its place? What might come to be true? Do a little journaling or talking with a friend how you could see that the seemingly impossible can become possible. And let's catch each other next time on the Radical Brilliance podcast.